Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Miss Bossy Boots. My name is Stacey Morgan. I'm the Principal of Port Macquarie Performing Arts, a dance school in the mid-north coast of New South Wales. And joining me is the fabulous Jane Hilston. Jane is the Managing Director of Dragonfly Marketing. Hey Jane. Hi Stace. So today we've got something special for you. It's been a little while since we've interviewed anybody. It's normally just Jane and I yabbering on, but today we've got someone special. Yes, Stace. Um, actually, I'll be really transparent and honest about this. I was so excited. We finished recording a podcast episode, I think it was about a month ago, and um, I, I left and checked my LinkedIn and, and a lady by the name of Ingrid Thompson had written to me. She just discovered the Miss Bossy Boots podcast. So Ingrid is the founder of a business called Healthy Numbers. She's passionate about small business startups and helps them set foundations while ensuring they are under no false illusion about cost and commitment. And Ingrid wrote to me and said, I'd love to be on your podcast. I love the sound of Miss Bossy Boots. And then I'd love to host you guys in in return. So um, after a few emails, we are very excited to be interviewing uh, Ingrid today. Let's get stuck straight into it. So Ingrid Thompson, welcome to Miss Bossy Boots. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Lovely to meet you. You as well, Ingrid. And we were just discussing before that Ingrid came across the Miss Bossy Boots podcast um, quite by accident. And she's just revealed how she's done that, which was via the um, reviews, the reviews channel. Someone had left a a review on her podcast. Um, and so she was able to see who, what, who else that they listened to. Um, and they listen to us. Yes, well, we mm. love the world of, of digital marketing and um, digital insights. So you can find out so much about your listeners. So that there's another little um, reminder, I guess, for everybody to leave us a review, not so that we can stalk you, but so that other people can <laughs> discover so. us. Yes, <laughs> yes. But Ingrid, we've got some, some wonderful questions for you because we can't wait to hear about your more about your business healthy numbers. Um, the topic that we're going to be talking about today with yourself is, so you think you want to start a business, think twice before you jump. Now, this topic, Ingrid, is, is quite close to Stacey and I's heart <laughs> because we're both business owners and we both jumped straight in when we started our businesses. And, and a lot of our podcast talks about the highs and lows of, of our business experience. We're both mothers of um, you know, young children and, and primary school age children. So this this is something that I believe needs to be considered by people before they do jump in. So first of all, Ingrid, can can you tell us a little bit about your background and your business, Healthy Numbers, so our listeners can, can understand where you're coming from? Thanks so much. Um, and you're right, there are some people who just want to jump in and... Um, I guess they will always just jump into whatever they do. So <laughs> by their nature, that's who they are. Sounds like us. I, yeah. <laughs> so look, I created Healthy Numbers partly because I actually really love numbers and I want to help other people to love numbers as much as I do. And partly because I wanted a name that really emphasised what we're all trying to achieve. And really, we want healthy numbers in our business. And so that means healthy financial numbers, cash, profit, growth, business, value per, per transaction, 
cost. It's really amazing how much of our lives is actually driven by numbers. Mm-hmm. There's numbers absolutely everywhere. You know, when we think of health and well-being, you know, we think about um, how far you could run, how much weight you can lift, how much weight you can lose, you know, what size wave you catch if you surf. Mm. Numbers are absolutely everywhere. And, mm. you know, we measure clients, numbers of clients we have, the satisfaction. So that's why I call my business Healthy Numbers. And we're a training company and we provide education and mentoring to people who want to create, start and grow their own business. Okay. So um, so You Want to Start a Business is a book, a podlo- podcast, an online program. And it outlines the seven steps um, that people need to think about as they get started in their own business. Mm. And I guess it's a real culmination of everything I've done for the last 20 plus years. So I started life as an accountant. Uh-huh. I worked in large corporations and my roles were usually around calculating how much things cost, um, how much did it cost us to make things, how much did it cost to deliver the service that we provided and then how much profit was there to be had in what we did. And I moved, I was really fortunate at a point, I moved into training and development and I spent a number of years training and facilitating customer service and leadership in Qantas and then in an insurance company called IAG. Mm-hmm. And then in 2003, a friend said to me, can you come and help us with our bookkeeping accounting? And she was in a small business. And I said, me? It's years since I've had anything to do with accounting. And she said, oh, it can't be that hard. Mm. So that began my experience with small business. Oh, my gosh. Mm. And I absolutely found that even though I was a big company sort of person, Mm. I just really loved being part of small business Mm. and um, I found it enormous rewarding Mm. and I really enjoyed helping the business owners understand what was going on in their business so I spent a lot of time in finance I've worked with probably I've figured it out it's almost a thousand businesses since 2003 and what I found is that like you ladies many of them start their business by the seat of their pants Mm -hmm. and then at some point they need some help And so as an accountant, I spent years helping people sort out their finances, which kind of led to systems and processes and protocols, but always working with the business owners to improve their understanding of numbers and finance and what that actually means. And so I thought, I wonder what would happen if people actually knew a bit more about starting a business before they actually started a business. And so that has led me to where I am now. So it's kind of morphed a bit Mm. over the years, but this is my niche. I love working with people who are thinking about starting a business. I do still have some clients who are in business, but this is my passion work right now. Mm. We have a real mixing grid of people that listen to the podcast and that is a mix of people that already run their own business. But then again, we've got uh, students as well and we've got people who work for other people that are perhaps thinking of starting their own business. What do you think are some of the more rewarding aspects to thinking about the positive things um, when starting a new business? What are some of the, well, what's the good stuff? The good stuff is, and I think the most popular things people say is um, because they get to be their own boss, they um, they have the freedom to choose when they work and who they work with. Mm. And this is true. But one of the things that clients tell me is that they can set a new standard for their particular profession. So yeah. when you're working for someone else, that person creates the business and they they set it up the way they want. And so if we go to work for them, then we kind of do what we do, but we do it their way. So even though we bring our own personality and our own nuances, 
So that's one of the things that I believe is one of the most powerful things about having your own business is that you set the benchmark for what what is customer service to you? What mm. is client um, you know, what are you doing for your clients and create the best possible client experience? I think that's one of the biggest things about having your own business. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a really good Yeah, um, Not something point. I've thought about before, but... Yeah, mm. yes. exactly right. So when you are jumping in um, to a new business and you've thought about all of the things that, you know, the cost, the considerations that come along with that and the costs that are going to be involved, are there things that sometimes uh, people overlook? Have you seen any patterns in, um, in the small businesses that you've worked with of things that people just forget to really consider well, it's, it's exciting kind of starting a business isn't it stay see there's there's so many things that people i guess people don't know what they don't know yeah what are, what are some of those things do you see Ingrid? <laughs> well it's amazing because people know they need a brand they know they need a website they know they need business cards or flyers or posters or you know some kind of collateral mm. they know that they need to have a product but often and it comes back to the numbers they've never really calculated what they actually need to be viable. Yes. So, Gosh, that's so what so that true. means is, and I'll give you a really super quick example. So how much does it cost to run the business on a monthly basis, mm. a quarterly basis? Uh, you know, how much do you need over the year? Mm. And you take that amount. And the other thing that they absolutely leave out is how much they want to pay themselves. Yes. So <laughs> one of the things that is important is to know that your lifestyle costs this much money. Yes. So your business costs this, your lifestyle costs this. So that's how much you need the business to make. Now, if you're going to do that, so say a Pilates studio, for example, you've got rent, you've got other costs, plus you want to pay yourself this much. Mm -hmm. So then you say, how much can I charge each client for whatever mm -hmm. they come for, whether it's a mat class or a private session, and then calculate how many clients do you need. So maybe you need 100 clients over the year, maybe you need 200 clients, depending on what your cost base is. So how do you get 200 clients? Mm. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So when you're starting a business, no matter what it is, whether it's a coffee shop or whether it's a flower shop, if this is your basic costs, how many bunches of flowers do you have to sell every single day in order mm. to cover that cost? Yes, yes. And that's the number one thing I think that nobody ever does. And they don't actually break it down into... What no. does it actually mean I need in terms of customers? I remember doing it for the start of my business. I did that side of it. But Ingrid, like you said, what do you want to pay yourself? Yes. Mm. For the first five years, I didn't even factor that in. Mm. Not even on, mm. a, on a hypothetical basis. Oh, I'd like mm. to possibly make... I just didn't... It just didn't even factor in, mm. which I think back now and go, that is crazy because mm. my lifestyle... Needs, needs money. <laughs> <laughs> needs funding. So can I t can I tell you a scary scary statistic? So um, somebody's just done some research in Australia, and twenty five percent of businesses have never paid themselves any money. I believe it. I completely four believe it. Five, four out of five businesses have never paid themselves any superannuation. Wow. What? Oh, mm. that is mm. scary. So there's a real gap between like, so there's all these people with this freedom of having their own business, but they're actually not generating money for themselves. No. So it's a critical, critical thing. So yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that's overlooked. So do you think, like the the, the logistics of that, so these, you would have to assume that these people have got a partner that is funding, you know, is, is contributing 100% to the 
to the family, the family mortgage, um, and, and the mortgage and all that sort of stuff. Because you can't, <laughs> you know, it can't be. Well, you wouldn't think it can be single people who are not earning a cent. Mm. I mean, it must be people who have the luxury of having a, a partner who's maybe got a you know full time job or whatever. Um, mm. And they're they're just kind of doing their passion job, or that, or bumbling along, or or Ingrid, do you think they're racking up debt? You know, are, are business owners, um, you know, contri- racking up debt as they're doing? I just don't understand how people. I know when I haven't paid myself, I've just been f- fortunate enough that my husband's income does cover our, mm. you know, living mm. expenses. You know, how do how do seventy five percent? You know, That's how a huge does, number. I don't get how they live. Well, I wonder then. I guess, and there's no that. I mean, that was the that was the statistic that was provided, and I have no reason to believe it's not true. Mm. So I think that's actually being supplemented by work, because I know a lot of people oh, okay. um, who actually yeah. either do contract work, a bit like actors. You know how yes. actors get paid a lot of money, and then they actually work in cafes as well. Yes. So I think that's, that's where true. some of the money is. I think you're right. I think some of them are supported by spouses or partners. Mm. Um, I think some of them are buying everything on their business account. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Wow, they are frightening statistics. Okay. Mm. I think the superannuation one is the more frightening one. Yeah, you're right. Yes. I think the not paying yourself, that's about, you know, like, so. You know, that might be a decision, as you say, you know, they're buying stuff on so that you're actually paying yourself any money. And that's a tax thing, perhaps, you know, from that point of view. But I think the four out of five not putting money in the super is actually a really scary, scary. statistic. Absolutely. Mm. And what is going to be the payoff that we see of that in yeah, 20 exactly. years' time? Because mm. we are in a generation of, you know, live your passion and do what you're passionate mm. about. And, you know, mm. thanks, Oprah, for all yeah. of that. Mm. <laughs> you know, do mm. do what your live heart desires. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But what's going to happen in 20 years' time when... Well, yeah. and I think compounding that then is that are these businesses actually being built to sell? Because they're probably yes. not. No. You know, when I talk to people in my podcast about their exit strategy, most don't have one. Mm. And if they did have one, it would be just to stop doing what they do because they're actually... If they're not actually building assets, there is actually nothing to sell. And that is a business model that's quite viable that you can say, well, you know, for the next 10 years, I'm going to run my business. It's going to pay me this or it's going to give me this lifestyle. Mm. And there will be nothing at the end of it to sell. And that's okay. Yeah. But if that's your superannuation program, then you're missing out in both camps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially that latter scenario is simply buying yourself a Mm. job. Yeah. Um, so I know in my work as a, as a marketing consultant, I see a lot of business owners who tend to bury their head in the sand when it comes to confronting their numbers. And, and I think this is, you know, probably why, because there's, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff that they don't actually want to confront. So, and it can, it can be really overwhelming to understand the financial side of your business, particularly yeah. for those people who haven't come from a mathematical or accounting background, um, I think a lot of the time, and certainly what I've I've observed is that it's it's because they simply don't want to see the story that they 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 don't want to hear. Mm. Um, have you worked with businesses in in this situation? And and if so, what what is your advice to business business owners such as these? You know, it's a terrific question, and I was just recently going through some numbers with a health professional. So we, um, it's a you know, it's a practice where they provide a health service, and there's a couple of practitioners that work. And we looked at their expenses, and we looked at how many clients they see, and how much money they charge. And what was immediately apparent 
is that it's actually not making money. And if it continued, mm. it was just, it was going backwards. Mm. So they're spending more than they were taking in. Mm. And you can't, like, that's not viable. It's not sustainable. And you never grow a business by cutting costs. Because I think what happens is people go, oh, well, let's cut the costs. Well, you never grow a business by cutting costs. Yeah. Yeah. So the question you always want to say is how do we make more money? So we've set out a plan for them to either see more clients, to offer more services to their existing clients, or to see existing clients more often. And when you when you focus on those three aspects, mm. one of them usually stands out as being a good model. Um, so when I say, that, let's have a look at the numbers, let's have a look at how many clients we have, let's have a look at how often they come in, how often they buy what they buy. And most businesses are desperately focused on new clients. They mm. want to do marketing and they want to do advertising and promotions. But when we work with a business that already has clients, one of the greatest things can be to focus on what else can we do for the people we already have, yeah. the clients we already see, how do we bring them back, what else can we offer them? And what else can we offer them, not from a I need more money point of view, but what else will serve them well? Yeah, value Evaluating. And I think the numbers help us to identify those patterns. So, you know, how many clients do we need mm. from the previous question? Yep. And then how many do we have? And sometimes just taking really good care of them is enough to put the business back on track and to build the um to you know, to build the revenue. Yeah. And I, I think it's it it can be foolhardy to spend not to say that you never want to have new clients. But yeah, we often have really fantastic. What is that expression? We have a fantastic diamonds in our own backyard. Mm, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, as a as a, again um, in my work in in marketing, I see the same thing. And even and and I'll add to that that the cost per acquisition of a new client, a new client or a customer is just so much more expensive because you've got to kind of move them through the whole kind of sales and marketing funnel, mm. which can mean multiple touch points. Which then, you know, that, that, that means, you know, in some cases, print advertising, radio advertising, TV advertising, and then getting them to subscribe to the email and, you know, social media advertising and all the rest. However, if, if you were just to perhaps target your existing clients, it, it might be as simple as either picking up the phone or sending, you know, an email series. It's so much mm. more cost effective. And because your customers or clients have bought from you before, they're so much more likely to to purchase from you again. That trust it's just is already there. Yeah, it's just sometimes yeah. they need reminding yeah. that 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 you're there. But can I add as well? When I found that I re- was when I communicated that with my staff, mm. complete game changer mm. because they they again because it's glossy and fun and exciting and new were interested in you know advertising and finding new mm. new people when. You know, once you get them in the door, that's when the real the real work has to start. And if mm. you don't really take care of those clients, then then you're lost. And the and yeah. the the other thing there too is that you you will generally get new clients if you're looking after your existing clients. The new clients will come because the the word of mouth that will be generated when you're surprising and delighting your existing customers and clients and giving them reason to talk about you, they are already going out to new potential new clients and they're doing the marketing for, for you. you. Exactly. Yeah. So. And 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 if you've got a word of mouth referral, it absolutely rockets you up the trust level scale. 
so far that, you know, there's a lot of... I remember somebody recommending a physiotherapist to me and I didn't even look anything. I just booked I just booked an appointment with her. I didn't even look up who she was. Yeah. But because it came from a really good friend of mine, yeah. she said, this woman's amazing. That was it. Yeah. You, you just didn't even need to do any research. No. You know, I was happy to make a booking. No. Well, my research these days consists of going, you know, if I, if I don't have someone that I can think of, if I need a, a particular product or service, I just go straight to Facebook because I know <laughs> that I'll have plenty of friends and family out there that will, that you know, will have tried and tested something, whether it be a washing machine or, a, as you said, a physio, you know, there's, there'll be someone out there with a recommendation. So uh, it's a lot easier than sitting there for, on Google for hours. <laughs> um, so you mentioned before that, that you provide a lot of business coaching to, to people within the fitness and the, um, the Pilates um, industry. Um, so obviously you, you and, and as you said before, you kind of identified that these guys are really good fitness providers or they're, they're really good at Pilates, but they're not necessarily good business people. Um, well, sorry, they don't necessarily have the business skills. And, and like, I think that's so true of so many business owners because we're really good at what we do. For example, you know, I'm very good at marketing. However, Mm -hmm. my accounting and my, you know, the skills within human resources are just horrible. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm not good at those. So it makes sense for me to, to go to outsource to people who, who are good at that. Otherwise I just end up making really costly mistakes. But for, for the for, for the fitness industry and the Pilates industry, are there any kind of tried and true business hacks that you can share that for, for anyone that might be looking to start a business in, in that particular industry? Well, and it's a terrific question and I'm glad you mentioned outsourcing because I think that's one of the things that is a really good hack. It's not something yeah. you're good at. Um, the thing is about outsourcing though is you can't just dis- dissolve, like you can't... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? You can't just send it out and forget about it. You yeah, know? delegate you it. Delegate yes. and just forget, you know. Yeah. But um, so over the past, I've probably been working for, with Pilates and yoga studios for around about 10 years. And firstly, I'd say if it is at all possible to be a studio manager in someone else's studio for experience. And if that's not possible, at least work in other studios. Mm. And I think, Stacey, were you just saying that when you explained to your team about um, you know, how you, you know, look after the clients that you already have that yeah. have made a big difference. Absolutely. So if you're working with a professional who's already running a practice or a studio, so, you know, maybe it's not a Pilates studio. Maybe you can work in a chiropractor or yeah. some kind of health practice where you see and learn from what they've got. So where do the customers come from? What sort of customer service do you need to provide? How do they attract new clients? How do they retain clients? You know, what is their retention strategies? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it doesn't... At, years ago, I, when I was at Qantas, we did study tours to go and learn from some of the best companies in the world. Mm. And our theme was to steal shamelessly. Not to actually steal things from mm. them, but to yeah. steal ideas. Yes. Ideas of what works well yes. and how that might work for our business. So today, I'm always watching, you know, whether I'm in a cafe, whether I'm at a bank, whether I'm online... I'm always looking at what's why does this work and mm. how can this work in my business. So I think if you're if you know your intention is to start a business, this is part of your groundwork. Do some sales, you know, get some retail experience, get some customer service experience, get some experience at answering the phone and how do you attract clients, how do you retain them? So I think that's you know, get some experience with someone else 
and then um, and you also learn what you don't want to do. You know, like oh, for sure, very, you can learn just as much about what you shouldn't be doing as <laughs> what you should be doing. Yeah, but when I look at you know, I just um, I just was talking to some Pilates owners who've recently started their businesses, and they've all had studio manager experience and they all said that made such a difference to them when they started their business yeah a great place to start mm. for sure mm. are you uh, aware of for people that are already in their, their own small business it can be very um isolating and very lonely at times thinking that you're the only person that's going through things i know business support networks have been really important um for us in in building those networks and knowing that you know you're not just sitting on your own next to your computer doing it on your own. Do you have any um, business networks that you can get in touch with or that you have used along your way or that you can recommend for business owners that will help them along their journey? Uh, Thank you. And as you say, it is one of the most difficult aspects of being in business. And it's something I talk about, that being alone, you know, even even that person you don't really like, you would actually wouldn't mind having a chat to them (laughs) when you leave the corporate world, you know, Mm. the one you avoid. But yeah. So finding a mastermind group or even creating your own. So, you know, depending mm. on where you are, the local business chamber can sometimes have um, regular meetings and you can connect with people. It takes a little while to find the group that works for you. Um, you want like-minded people who are not friend tours. Um, somebody introduced me to this expression recently. Friend tours. Um, a, friend, mm. a friend tour is, is important because they're the ones that will say, oh, they're there, you did your best. Um, tomorrow's mm. another day, you know, you'll be fine. Um, but a mentor or a mastermind is someone who holds you accountable. So sometimes those networking groups, you know, they'll either be friend tours where you can just go and hang out or you actually look for something a bit more rigorous than that. Um, I think some of the co-working spaces now offer that sense of community. I know our local Newtown um, precinct is opening a co-working space that will have... Um, that we'll have that sort of community. The WeWork in the city uh, is a co-working space. I and love they have that regular, space. Mm. They have regular sessions that gives them a sense of community. Mm. Um, some of the professional associations can also be a terrific support network. Um, mm. I've just spent three days with the Pilates Alliance um, having their conference with 300, almost 300 people there. Great chance to get together for improving technical skills for connecting and you know there's a number of those people um there's facebook groups linkedin groups where and i think podcasts i think there's growth in podcasts podcasts like yours where you talk about the highs and lows really give people a sense of oh okay so that happened to those guys too mm. and um and that's what yeah so i think there's each individual will have their own style, um, but the, the tacky networking things where you just have someone looking over your shoulder for the next person to talk to, um, mm. I avoid those like the plague. Mm. Yeah, I don't think anyone <laughs> feels particularly comfortable in those. No. no, that's great. That's great tips. And you're right. I think I think now more than ever, there's probably more groups and support groups available to small business owners than there's, there's ever been. You've just got to kind of open your mind to them, I think. Um, now, Ingrid, the the notion of becoming an overnight success, in in your experience, how long does it actually take to, to be an overnight success? 
Well, I think it's about 10 years, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. So, I was going to say, on. having just been in business for 10 years, I, I'd say maybe even slightly a tad longer. I mean, I'm, still I'm still waiting for that sort of... But you know what? I think the thing is, what does the success mean? You know, mm. and I think that's the really important thing. You know, I feel like my business has been successful from day one. You know, when I get an email from someone that says, you will be so proud of me, this is what I did, and... You know, they've done something that's stretched them. That makes me feel like my business is successful. Yeah, you that's know, true. Sitting at the beach with my laptop, which I think would be the most awful thing in the world personally. <laughs> I do not want to be at the beach with my laptop. I want to be at the beach. Yes. Um, but, you know, six, seven, eight figures, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, we can do great things when we have lots of money and I don't like making money is important. But, you know, that email to me that says, you know, here's what I've done and yes. I stretched myself and because it's what the conversation I had with you last week is what I've done, that's a definition of success for me. Yeah. But seriously, when we look at success, you know, we talked earlier about people paying themselves and about contributing to superannuation. Mm. Most businesses mm. do take around about that eight to ten years. Mm. But it's the pulling together of everything. If I look at Canva, who are super successful now, yes. ten years ago they were making high school yearbooks. Yeah, you know, they didn't wow. know they were heading where they've headed to. Wow, I Idiot. did not know that. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah. So they started making yearbooks for wow. high schools. Mm. You know, you know those books that they make at the end yeah. of the year. So, yeah, yeah. And TDE, you know, I think Alicia and those guys have done a fantastic job now. But they wrote a fashion blog for the first two years that really didn't go very far. So mm. you know, mm. it changed course and it became the Daily Editors or TDE. Mm. So I think if we look around, it really is. Yeah, it's it's it takes more than just, you know, it's not going to happen in a six-week course. And I think you're right there. I'm reading Mia Friedman's work strife balance at the moment, which is I think her third book. And I love Mia Friedman's um, books. She's so candid and I find her very amusing. And she's, she's referring to her startup kind of journey with the Mamma Mia um, organisation. And, and I'm probably only about three three or so three or four chapters in but she keeps referring to this first kind of 18 months two years where she's just been sitting in her living room by herself not paying not earning a cent of revenue and working from you know five o'clock in the morning until midnight and and she worked around her three children as as well and I I mean you look at Mia Friedman when before she started that organization she was someone you know she was a highly um well-known, highly regarded, well-known, you know, journalist, editor. She'd had a really, really successful career and a very, very public media profile. But and still, even she was sitting there on a couch on her own. still sitting there for years. You know, yeah. And it was really only when her husband, Jason, I think his name is, came in um, to mm. the business with her that, and he was the one that monetized the business. You know, she could probably to this day be sitting in her living room wow. writing content. Mm. And she worked six days a week. Yeah. Around, mm. you know, and just wrote content constantly for two years mm. by herself. To, and you look at that business now, it's incredible. It's international. There's over 100 employees. And you think, oh, she would have just started that. You know, she would have just started Walked writing into and that. that and yeah. that, that was an overnight success. But, you know, even yeah. for someone who's, you know, really well known um, and probably quite set up to, to succeed, it, it still takes them that long. Yeah. So. That's a really good reminder of even people who've got that very high profile when they go out, 
you know, on their own, mm. how long it actually takes to get that traction. Mm. Yeah. And a reminder too, I mean, I find it really refreshing that mm. she she is as candid and, and um, transparent as she is to say, I, you know, I didn't know how to monetize the business. You know, here she is. She's been the editor and the editor in chief of some of Australians, Australia's biggest magazines. You would think that in terms of, you know, financials and those sorts of things, I get She'd be all over it. You would think, mm-hmm. yeah. So for her mm-hmm. to to not, you know, you think, oh wow, you know, I don't feel so bad that, you know, that's that hasn't been a skill that's automatically popped into my head either. Yeah. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, and you know, yeah. if I just add another story on that one, is mm. um, Naomi Simpson, who is now Shark Tank, yes. you know, yep. like Red Balloon. The, suit, the Red Balloon. The first three months that she started that business, Red Balloon, she walked up and down Martin Place with her red suit on, carrying mm. her briefcase with a red balloon attached to it. Wow. Wow. That was how she started that business. Tenacity. And she was down to her absolute last cent because she paid thousands of dollars for a website because in 2000, that was the early 2000s, yeah. it cost $25,000 for a website <gasps> yeah. and that's how much she had. And so, you know, you think now she's on, you know, like she's fantastic, but mm. she too pounded the pavements, you know, walked wow. up and down Martin Place with her, not quite a sandwich board, but, you know, that was the equivalent of that because yeah. in those days there was no Facebook. There was, you know, no. the promotion was you actually physically went out and talked to people. So, mm. you know, I think it's good. It is refreshing to be reminded that, you know, these do take years. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, look, it's been so enjoyable talking to you, Ingrid. I think we could probably spend the rest of the afternoon and head into cocktail hour with you if uh, if we if we keep going. Yeah. But let me um let me ask you a little bit about your podcast um and your book. Um can you tell our listeners because if they, I think the, there's probably a few of them out there that will want to hear more from you particularly around the the healthy numbers and and also the notion of of uh, wanting to start a business can you can you tell us a little bit more about the podcast and book Thanks um Jane very much so the podcast is a series of interviews with people who've already started a business and I ask the same questions which actually was an idea inspired by John Lee Dumas the entrepreneur on fire because mm-hmm. uh, I started listening to him years ago and he just asked the same questions and I thought you yeah, know I'm going to do the same thing so currently my listeners are in 62 different countries around the globe wow with almost 45% in the US and just under 40% in Australia And then that leaves the 16% to be the UK and the rest of the world. And the theme of the podcast is to bring business startup stories from people who have done it so we can all learn from from them. Because Mm. making mistakes is inevitable and that's how we learn. Mm. But doing things well is also inevitable. And there's some terrific stories about, you know, what people have done really well. And let's learn from that. Yes. So um, the podcast is completely free. At this stage, I don't do any advertising and my intention is actually not to. I run webinars as well where I don't actually um, do any, um, I don't sell. Mm-hmm. I just, they're purely for information because that's those are, that's part of my contribution to improving financial literacy and business literacy to the community. My book, I am going to charge money for my book. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. I am actually a business. <laughs> yes. Um, but the book covers the seven steps. So it outlines what to think about. So there's you, there's your idea, the clients, the brand, the structure, 
and compliance and finances and then marketing. Mm -hmm. And there really is an emphasis on financial literacy, which actually makes this book unique. We get into some of the details. There's some really solid chapters about marketing and branding and understanding your why and, you know, that motivation for the business. But it's also a really useful resource in terms of structure, compliance and finances. And not a lot of books get into the sort of detail that I've got into in this book. So it's full of examples and worksheets, but it's also a terrific read because it's got really lovely stories in it. I am a storyteller. And um, if anybody would like, am I allowed to do it? I was going to say, yes. Can can you tell tell us where we get this book? (laughs) Well, it'll be ready at the end of November. But if you want to read an extract or an excerpt from now, because the publisher's um, I'm allowed to do this because it's my book. Yes. Is if you go to so you www yep. so you want to start a business dot com dot au, it'll ask you for your email address, and um, I'll send you the first. I think it's twenty five pages. Okay. Um, and it, it's so it's most of the first chapter. It's the introduction, and the uh, yeah, it's pretty terrific. So excellent. If anybody's interested, and then I will let you know when the book's ready. Great. Um, and it will be available and I can post people copies. But, yeah, there's an online program as well. So my website is healthynumbers.com.au, okay. um, a specific online program for Pilates and yoga and movement professionals. So, Excellent. Um, yeah. And, Ingrid, if, are you on social media? Is there somewhere that uh, people can hit you up via social? I think the best way to connect with me is through LinkedIn. It's one of the my strongest platforms. Mm-hmm. Um if you go to my website, there's a link to my Facebook page, mm-hmm. uh, Ingrid Thompson Growing Businesses Healthier. Um, I certainly have um, that as part of, but I think the podcast is also a really nice way for people to get used to, you know, listening to me, yes. listening to how I operate and to see whether, you know, it's the sort of thing that people want to work with. Oh, excellent. Well, sounds like something that I'll be thank adding to so my much. list. Yeah, thank <laughs> Ingrid, you. thank you so much for joining us. We hope that people will head over to healthynumbers.com.au to get a little bit more of you. Thank you so much thank for you. not only joining us today, but also being a listener of Miss Bossy Boots. Much appreciated. It's lovely. Thanks for having such a terrific show that we can listen to. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks Stacey. Ingrid. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on Miss Bossy Boots. If you want to get in touch, make sure you hit us up on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Miss Bossy Boots podcast. And we will join you next week. Thanks so much for joining us.